Today's podcast is brought to you by Audible. Get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash bookshow. Then go over to morbidlybeautiful.com as we are now part of the Morbidly Beautiful Podcasting Network. Everybody here dies by dawn. Dead by dawn. Welcome, welcome to the Spook to the Show. show. <laughs> Hello and welcome once again to another edition of the All American Spook Show podcast. This is episode 200. Technically, mm. technically, it's episode 201 because we did have a bonus episode last October. But in the in the order of which we actually, you know, number these things, this is episode 200. So we finally come to the big moment. We had, we had wanted to do. Something a little bigger, like not movie wise, because I think we got a pretty big movie here. We landed on yeah. the Lost Boys from 1987, but we wanted to do like a watch along or something like that. And it just didn't work out. You know, our, our schedules didn't align, so we couldn't get everybody uh, in the same place at the same time. So we decided just to kind of have a regular episode, but have a big movie. So we're going with the Lost Boys from 1987. But you do have us all. Believe it. This is probably the first time in quite some time. I can't even, probably, you got to go all the way back to October. So before, maybe before Tiana was, you know, a regular player here, right? I think. Um, But you've got myself, Josh, and you've got Donnie. Yo. Will. Hey, hey, hey. That's right. He has, he's here. He's got a voice. He's, (laughs) he's a real, he's a real boy. (laughs) (laughs) We've got the Professor Smoke. What's up? And we've got his lovely wife, Tiana. Hey. And. Yeah, I, I, it's awesome just to have us all here under the same roof at the same time. Well, not all under the same roof, but, you know, as far as the podcast is concerned, all here at the same time. So it's a perfect timing, too, with this, not only episode 200, but this movie in particular that we were all able to be here. Before we get into it, we'll go ahead and throw out the usual information. We we encourage you to go check out aaspookshow.com. We call that the center of the Spook Show universe. Um, from there, you can go listen to our past podcast archive, which now is... 201 episodes or at least 200 past episodes from this one. Um, we also, from there you can go uh, to our YouTube where every month we have grindhouse gutter video vortex and hammer horror in order. Those three different series that come out pretty much every week, all month long, every month. So lots of stuff going on over there. And of course, podcast episodes are uploaded there as well. So there's almost never something, not something new going on over on our YouTube channel. And we also want you to go check out our Patreon and become a patron patreon.com slash AA spook show. And you can reach that as well from the website, AA spook show.com. And, uh, you, if you become a patron, you get video mini every month, including the library of the professor. And you also get our, uh, monthly special crapster piece theater where Donnie, what are we watching this month? I've already blanked. Um, um we'll let's see one. this month we're, we're watching ghosts. Can't do it. Oh yeah, that's right. Uh, I already put it out of my yeah. mind because I nominated it and it won and I don't have to watch it. So, <laughs> yeah. That's the gimmick. Whoever nominates, mm-hmm. we don't tell y'all who's nominating what, so we don't sway the vote. But whatever movie we land on, that person that nominated it doesn't have to be there. So I'm the lucky one. Ghost can't do yeah, it. Yeah, it's so. extra torture for the rest of us. So we yeah. always try to nominate the worst. So um, we don't have to do it. Yeah. And th- believe me, we've, we've nominated some shit. <laughs> and <laughs> lots of shit has yeah. uh, been slung against the wall. So we'll see. 
we'll see if this is diarrhea or floater or sinker and all the other criteria or you guys will, I won't be there. So I, I guess I'll find out when everybody else does mm. <laughs> at Appreciate the end of the it. month. And I don't, I don't expect Will to actually partake in that, right? Like, I don't think you're going to watch it. Are you? No. <laughs> if I don't, if I, if I don't necessarily contractually have to, right. But that'll come, <laughs> that'll come out on Friday, February 23rd. So, uh, another big month uh, coming up, and we'll tease what we've got going on because that, that'll actually come out this Friday. But we've, we'll tease what we've got going on for the for rest of the month at the end of the episode and uh, into March. So uh, it'll all be here before you know it. So I'll go ahead and toss to the trailer for the Lost Boys. Michael and Sam have just moved to Santa Carla, California. They're about to discover its secret. Notice anything unusual about Santa Carla yet? No. It's a pretty cool place. If you're a Martian. Or a vampire. When you scream. Sammy, help me! Stay back! Stay back! What's happening, Star? Get yourself a good, sharp stick. Drive it right to his heart. You're a vampire, Michael! My own brother, a damn blood sucking vampire! Oh, you eat till mom finds out, buddy! When a vampire buys it, it's never a pretty sight. Michael, they're All right, there you go. That's uh, the trailer for that. So uh, as far as going through our, our history, with it, I, I'm going to assume that this is something that every one of us watched. Will, have you seen it before this time? Uh, Lost Boys? I, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, definitely. Donnie, what about you? Yeah, I've seen it a couple of times. Tiana? Oh, I watch it once a year. <laughs> <laughs> do you have Do you have an annual like date? Like, oh, it's uh, it's February whatever if it's time for the Lost Boys. <laughs> <laughs> And Smoke, what about you? I'm sure uh, not only have you seen it a thousand times, but you own it on CED, VHS. No, believe it or not, this is the first time from not kidding. What? <laughs> <laughs> I saw it in the theater, of course, when it first came out. Then I don't know. God, I don't know how many times beyond that. <laughs> but yeah, I had it on. I don't think I have it on this one. I don't currently think I have it on VHS, but back in the day I did. Oh, so wow. we, just, we picked up the 4K recently, and that's how we watched it this time around. We broke <laughs> open that new 4K to check that out. How did that look? It looked good. It looked really. It looked and sounded good. Now we don't use the, you know, what's what I think is known as the soap opera effect, where you put that comb filter on or whatever, you know. Yeah, yeah. That smoothing, I, I personally I can't stand that. So, but I still think the 4K movies, you know, depending on the transfer, and this was a good transfer, still look a little bit better than your average, you know, Blu-ray. Well, uh, we'll go ahead and get into some of the background info. This movie premiered; it had, it had its big world premiere in New York City on July twenty seventh, nineteen eighty seven. And it was released wide July 31st, so just a few days later there in 1987. Uh, this was produced by Richard Donner Production and distributed by Warner Brothers. Of course, it's rated R. Well, I, I guess you could say it's it's really kind of a friend. To me, it feels more like a fringe PG-13. Like, yeah, I mean, you can mm. see why it got an R rating, right? But I wouldn't necessarily say, of course, this is rated R. Yeah, yeah. It kind of has its moments, you know, where it's like it's not concentrated gore by any means. And yeah. even when they are 
gore scenes going on, they're not like overly, you know, <laughs> there's a little bit for it being a vampire movie. Sometimes you expect there to be maybe more blood than there actually is, but yeah, we'll get into that. Um, it has a total runtime of one hour, 37 minutes on IMDb. It's listed as a comedy and a horror in that order film. Well, I guess that's about right. It was filmed mm-hmm. in Santa Cruz and Burbank, California. And, and a couple scenes were shot in Mobile, Alabama randomly, uh, from, June of 19 or I, I'm sorry for a few weeks throughout June of 1986. Um, it had a budget of eight and a half million dollars and it went on to a worldwide gross of 32 and a half million dollars by one of the estimates that I saw. And when we have it, we usually like to throw it out there. So we've got the top 10 in the box office the weekend that it came out. So this was the weekend, the, 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 uh, the U S domestic box office, the weekend of July 31st through August 2nd of 1987, this, these weren't top 10, but I think it's kind of appropriate to name off the top 12 just so you can see what it was really playing up against. Um, number 12, Jaws the Revenge was in its third week. So that, that <laughs> what the hell? Yeah. I can't believe it lasted three days. Here, go ahead. <laughs> yeah. Third week, Jaws the Revenge. The, uh, uh, number 11 was the 11th week of Beverly Hills Cop 2. So it, that was one of the biggest ones at the time for sure, as far as like total gross. Beverly Hills Cop 2 had been raking. Number, so number 10, Adventures in Babysitting was in its fifth week. Number nine, Dragnet was in its sixth week. Number eight, also in its sixth week, Full Metal Jacket. Number seven was a, a crappy uh, fourth sequel theme going on here. Superman 4, The Quest for Peace was in its second week. I'm That's surprised. about as good as that other fourth sequel yeah. of golf. I'm surprised it made it two weeks. Uh, number six was the 1987 re-release of Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Remember, Disney did that a lot back in the 80s. Number five, Smoke, this is one of your favorites. And its second week, Summer School. Actually, now that's not a joke. Usually when you say that to one of us, you yeah. know, you say Donnie or Smoke or whatever, this is, this is one of your favorites. It's usually absolute shit, right? Yeah, usually. In this case, though, that's true. That is yeah, one of my favorites. exactly. Number four, Donnie, this is one of your favorites, RoboCop. Mm. It is. Yeah, yeah see, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be nice. Accurate. So, yeah. Will, Will, number three, this is one of your favorites, La Bumba. Was in its second week. Oh, come on. Uh, Jimmy Valen, Frankie Valen, whatever his Valen's <laughs> name is. You don't even know Jimmy his fucking Valen. name. <laughs> <laughs> I think Jimmy Valen. You sit on a throne a, of lies, a... sir. You don't even know who the fuck the movie's about. <laughs> Uh, that's awesome number two in its opening weekend the lost boys made 5.2 million dollars and then number one almost well over doubling it up in the box office that weekend the living daylights wasn't that a, a bond movie mm-hmm. yeah so, yeah sounds yeah so that, that makes sense a bond movie would have uh beat this out but yeah so it, it was number two when it opened up the box. but you can see it's pretty stiff competition you know like some classics there man robocop uh, I know, yeah. you know, kind of a, not, I wouldn't necessarily say a classic, but summer school, you know, is for people that like that kind of stuff. Right. And then there's full metal jacket, Beverly Hills cop too. Yeah. I mean, so there was some big ones and that's not even to mention that, uh, Roxanne, the untouchables revenge of the nerds Two, nerds in paradise. Uh, the witches of Eastwick, these were all and space balls. These were all still playing in, in, uh, your multiplex theaters at the time. So. Lots to choose from there, the, but it, it was the summer season, right? July thirty first. Most kids haven't gone back to school yet, so you're right in the middle of the of the summer movie season. There, this was based on, I guess, not necessarily based on, but it's from a story 
that was written by Jan Fisher and James Jeremias, but it was um, rewritten and reworked because uh, apparently it was originally going to be directed by Richard Donner, who he, and he ended up pulling out because he had some other projects, but he is named as an executive producer, and obviously it's the Donner Production Company that did it. But they made a lot of changes from the original. It was supposed under Richard Donner. It was supposed to be more Goonies like, and they wanted younger kids in these roles. And it wasn't until Joel Schumacher took over as director. And then he brought in the, 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 the man that eventually wrote the script, the, the screenplay, Jeffrey Boam, uh, that they kind of, they wanted a sexier, older cast. So they kind of bumped everything up. So instead of it being more Goonies like, from the original script, they bumped it up to what you finally got here. So Donnie, what do you think that would have been interesting, right? If it was more Goonies. Oh man, that's a, a yeah, I do have uh some, well, I guess, yeah, it's kind of like some background on, on that. Uh, Corey Haim actually, um, uh, auditioned for the role of mouth, which Corey Feldman got. Hmm. Yeah. It is kind of surprising. If you think about it, that, <laughs> like, you know, as big as Corey Feldman and Corey Haim were, and then eventually became together that they, that Corey Haim was not in the Goonies, right. You know, looking back on it, because yeah. yeah. he was, he was definitely a big, you know, they were all the same age bracket. Right. And he was, he was pretty big yeah. at the time. So yeah, I think this was their first movie together. Yeah. I don't know how many times they did films together, but they did, they did a good handful uh, in the years yeah. following this. Right. Something else I saw though, was, uh, uh, the movie that Richard Donner left for, was Lethal Weapon. Yeah. That was a terrible decision. Yeah. <laughs> what the hell's wrong with him? <laughs> and there there are some other uh, Lethal Weapon connections that we'll get to here shortly that I saw. At least that came out in, what, earlier in 87 or later? I forget what, what that came out earlier. Uh, I'm not sure the timing of it, but I'm pretty sure it was 1987 that Lethal Weapon came out. So. Yeah, it was 87, definitely. Yeah, so I'm sure it's something. But it wasn't you know, all- Lost Boys, when you were mentioning those movies, so it must have been a different, I guess, yeah. you know, different time period. It's 87. Speaking of the title, The Lost Boys, you know that it basically refers to the story of Peter Pan and Neverland, right? Where in the story, uh, Peter Pan has his his uh, friends or whatever, and they're the Lost Boys, right? Like, they they mm-hmm. never grow up. They go there, and they, they never grow old. That's the whole premise of the story. So that's directly where they lift the name The Lost Boys from. And I think even what well, Keeper Sutherland says something in relation to that at some point, right? You'll never grow up. You'll never grow old or, old yeah. or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> Direct reference. I, yeah. I think he even says like, we tried to make you immortal or something like that. So yeah, it's, yeah, but that's a more direct reference for sure. Speaking of, uh, Keith or, Kiefer Sutherland, am I the only one that uh, ever says Keither Sutherland? Am I the only one that gets tongue tied with this dude's name? <laughs> I always want to say Keith or Sutherland. Yeah, I don't know why it is. I always want to say Keith or Sutherland, but it's Kiefer Sutherland. But speaking of him, um, he broke his wrist doing a wheelie uh, during this movie. And then like uh, throughout the movie, I guess later on and in certain scenes of the movie, he's wearing gloves. That's to hide the cast that he (laughs) he got on his hand from breaking his wrist uh, doing the wheelies. Um. They actually tried or attempted to make a sequel to this called The Lost Girls back in the late 80s, early 90s. And it just never came to fruition. It, it was just a thing that never happened. But they did. And you know like, what? Though, they use that tagline, though, for a movie that's totally unrelated, like some some uh, Italian or Spanish. I can't remember. Foreign horror movie called Vampires, but with a Y. Mm-hmm. And the tagline was 
they're the Lost Girls yeah. <laughs> or something like so that. So they must have been. Now that would be Well, maybe we'll get to that at some point. I could probably pull it up on Grindhouse, but it is pretty crazy. <laughs> they did not anything like Lost Boys though <laughs> at all. They did many many years later end up making two sequels to this movie that I still have never seen to this day because I remember even seeing it. I was just, eh, I love the lost boys, but I don't know about that. Lost boys, the yeah. tribe in 2008 and then lost boys, the thirst in 2010. Now, apparently Corey Haim was in the first one, but not the second one because he passed away right around the same time that they were making that. So he was not in the third one, but, and they did bring back the frog brothers for those movies as well. So you have Corey Feldman and, uh, Lord always blanked it on the other guy's name. We'll get to it in a second, but yeah, they, they did return for those movies. They're up to, to this day. There has been talk of a fourth movie and a frog brothers TV sh- uh, show that has been discussed, but just, you know, to this point has not happened. Doesn't mean that maybe in the future, those things might still happen, but have not happened to this point. There was also at some point released a couple of comic book series, which I've never read. And, they actually, most recently, I think in the last year or two, announced plans to make a musical. So, Will, I'm sure you'd be all over that, right? Oh, of course. You know, uh, uh, Jimmy Fallon and Frank Fallon. <laughs> all, all them Fallons. <laughs> They'd all be involved, for sure. And speaking of music, it's a good time to mention the soundtrack for this, right, Smoke? Oh, yeah. yeah. For, uh, which is weird. I mean, like, you think about the Lost Boys, everybody knows the soundtrack. But it wasn't like it was some made, you know, massively popular artists that were on there at the time. No. I mean, you had NXS, and they were probably more popular than what the two main songs are from this movie that you hear that most people know, which is what Cry Little Sister by G. Tom Mack, who I'd never, don't even know who the fuck that was before this. I never, I still don't know who it is other yeah, than he got, did the Cry Little Sister song. <laughs> you got me. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is about that song is that, like, I remember that song a ton from this movie, and, it, and it's one of yeah. those, like, you know, uh, earwig type of songs. When you hear it, it's, it's stuck in your head. I didn't yeah, remember. Yeah. It's been a while since I watched this movie. I didn't remember how many times it's played throughout the movie. I kind of recall, <laughs> yeah. like, you know, maybe once or yeah. twice you hear it, but no, it's, it's multiple times throughout the movie. They, they play the hell out of this song or at least parts of it. Right. They kind of edit it up and insert it wherever they can. Yep. And same way with the other main song from this movie, which is uh lost in the shadows. Right. The one that opens the movie in the credits, and then that plays yeah. again a little later on, at least twi- at least probably two other times itself, you know. But for my money, though, the song that I now remember and equate even more so with this is probably because of after this movie and in the, in the conventions and everything, you'll see them is Tim Capello's I Still Believe. Oh, God. You know, people who don't know the name, you will know the sax, the muscle-bound sax guy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Say that, you automatically know who to talk about. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I don't want to, uh, you know, crap on the guy, but has he done anything other than that? Like, I'm sure he has, right? But, like, that's his yeah, thing. Yeah, he, he was a sax, uh, he played saxophone for Tina Turner for 10 years. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah, he was in the music video. Um, what was it, baby? He was in the, for the soundtrack to uh, Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. We need another, we need a hero. We need part. a hero. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. He was in that. That does fact, his that doesn't shock me at all. And I'm surprised he wasn't in the fucking movie. I mean, cause he looks like he's from Thunderdome in this movie. <laughs> yeah, it's true. And he's still built. Yeah. yeah he's well. still like, he's, you've seen him. Well, you see him, right? Josh at the convention. I've seen, yeah, yeah. I've seen him. Look, and if that's your gimmick, you better stay, if, you know, you better stay fit. If that's your, if your one yeah. thing is playing a saxophone without a shirt, you better, 
<laughs> you better keep your shit tight, right? Yeah, unless you were Chris Farley. I mean, you might be able to get away with it. <laughs> unless you're built like meatloaf. He could have got away with it. Meat, <laughs> meatloaf was built like a meatloaf. But at least he played into it. This it's a good soundtrack though. It's a memorable soundtrack, but it's yeah. it's also kind of odd to me how many like cover songs there are. Like yeah, like Echo and the Bunny Man. <laughs> yeah, doing uh the Jesus. Doors. People are strange. Yeah, the Doors. And then there's uh Oof. Roger Daltrey doing "Don't Let the Sun Go Down on Me," but which is weird. It's like why did they not get the Elton John version? I mean, I'm sure it wasn't cheap to get Roger Daltrey to do it. Like why not just get Don't let what on me. Don't let the sun oh. go down. Oh, no, no, oh. Yeah, that's that's a different that's a different movie you're oh, talking oh. about. Oh, Don't let the sun go down on me. <laughs> it's just weird, right? Uh, is it a money thing, or is it just like, well, we need new voices for these these same songs? It's just kind of an odd choice, I, right? You know, I didn't I didn't research this part of it now because I didn't think about it until we're talking about this right now. But my guess is that the Doors version is I don't you know I can't even think of a movie I've seen that's had an actual Doors song that's not a cover in it because I don't know if they just didn't license their stuff because I know there was a time when Jim Morrison got pissed off because the rest of the band licensed Light My Fire, I think it was, for a car commercial back in back when they were back in the late sixties or early seventies. I could think and of he got super pissed off. So I don't know if they just didn't license their music for movies after I could, that. But, I could be I could yeah. be wrong, but I can think of one and it's probably gonna piss you off when I say it. Apocalypse Apocalypse Now. Oh okay that's true. That's true. Man. That was oh, yeah. that was a huge movie. They probably did play it pretty penny to get the end on there. Yeah, I would imagine. But it was perfect, right? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But it is, it's a great soundtrack, very memorable, especially those few songs. And, and man, they play the shit out of uh, Cry Little Sister, which isn't a bad thing. I'm just saying, like, I just forgot how many times it's, you hear it, you know. Um, there's a bunch of other little songs you only hear in little pieces, like in, um, I think maybe when they're in the comic book store, you hear it maybe playing on a radio, and it's like it's on the soundtrack, but you hear it for like two seconds in the movie. And mm. then, oh, and then the vampire scene, and one of the vampires gets uh, by stereo, you know. Yeah. I can't remember what the song is right now, but that song, whatever the song was, was playing is on the soundtrack, but it's only playing for that few seconds mm. when he's, you know, getting death by stereo. <laughs> this did, uh, it was nominated for, was awesome. it was nominated for a number of awards, but it did win a few, but not, no, like Oscar, no, nothing, you know, high level stuff, but it won the 1988 Saturn award for best horror film. And then it also won the 1988 young artist award for teenage favorite, horror actor, or no, I'm sorry, teenage favorite horror, just the movie, and then drama and best young actor in horror for Corey Feldman. So that's a long way to get to uh, Corey Feldman won an award for this. <laughs> Which is kind of weird of all the people to pull from this movie to give an award to. Yeah, that was a, Corey Feldman. Like Sutherland or something or whatever, you know, you, yeah, Jason, you would think is Jason a, Patrick. You would arguably like the you know most famous role, you would think. Yeah. I mean, I said that's arguable. It was directed by Joel Schumacher, who also, you may remember, made DC Cab, one of Donnie's favorites. Oh, yeah. yeah, it actually is one of yeah, my see, favorites. Yeah, I'm, see, I'm, I'm trying to be nice today. <laughs> yeah, what's going on? Say, <laughs> who are you? It's weird. Say now, <laughs> it's say, weird, weird, you know. I'm not saying, you know. Um, yeah, I'm not Ernest bringing goes to camp, Donnie's favorite, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Donnie's favorite Ernest Goes to Africa was also made by Joel Schumacher. No, I don't know. Uh, St. <laughs> Elmo's Fire. He did Flatliners, uh, a, a really underrated 90s flick, Falling Down. 
I, lo- I love that movie. Oh, yeah. Um, but he's also probably, you know, in certain circles, known more for doing the last two Batman movies, you know, that original run. Mm. Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. So, Will, you know all about old uh, bat nipples there, right? Absolutely. <laughs> like, especially when you brought in uh, Frankie Valen. Yeah. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> you really just don't know what you're, you're talking about at all. Um, um, unfortunately, Joel Schumacher passed away in June of 2020, so he's no longer with us. Uh, the movie was produced by Harvey Bernard. He was a producer of the Mac and the Omen, the first one, the second one, and the fourth one. I don't know where he was during the third one and also on the Goonies. So clearly there was probably some connection with, you know, Schumacher and, uh, Richard Donner and all that. Uh, unfortunately he also passed away in January of 2014. The screenplay we mentioned it earlier was written by Jeffrey Boehm. He wrote the dead zone, you know, the, uh, Stephen King adaptation from the eighties, not the show, but the movie. And he wrote the screenplays for lethal, the first three lethal weapon movies. So there's your, uh, lethal weapon connection there. So he, he wrote this, he, he must, that means he must've pretty much wrote the screenplay for this and the first lethal weapon at the same time. Essentially, right? Yeah. Um, he also wrote Inner Space, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, uh, a ton of episodes, and, and I think he got a lot of credit for the Adventures of Briscoe County Junior. You remember that? Uh, oh yeah, that that show back <laughs> in the nineties. Uh, unfortunately, he died fairly uh, fairly young. I think he was in his early fifties in January of two thousand. Uh, the movie stars Jason Patrick as Michael. Uh, you may recognize him. From, I mean, he's been in tons and tons of TV and movies, you know, over the last 40 years. But he was in Frankenstein Unbound, Sleepers, uh, one of Will's favorites, Speed 2, Cruise Control. Oh, yeah. With Sandra the, Bullock and Frankie Valens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> With all the Valens, they were all there. Like, all right. So I know that we're kind of going through, <laughs> we're kind of going through these, uh, these, these folks, you know, it's a big cast. film a big uh, cast. filmographies, but I just think it's funny. And it's, it's not funny, but it's just kind of how it's been the last few uh, last few of these. You like you remember all these great things? Oh yeah, he's dead. Yeah. You know, it's just like, there's the a fuck? there's a common theme here that a lot of people that worked on this there must be some kind of uh, twenty year old like twenty years past you're all gonna die curse or something because like, there's a lot of people that were involved with this that are no yes. longer here. There really are. Yeah. And, like, oh, yeah, you remember the, all, all this? Yeah. Remember these great things? Yeah. yeah they're dead. That was awesome, wasn't it? <laughs> They've passed. Speaking of which, unfortunately, Corey Haim as mm-hmm. Sam. True. <laughs> yeah. I got some timing, huh? Yeah. He passed. Uh, oh, God. Yeah, that was, he died at the age of 38 back in March of 2010. But you may recognize him from Silver Bullet, another Stephen King adaptation of the 80s. License to Drive, Dream a Little Dream. And I think both of those were movies that he had done with Corey Feldman. But yeah, he died uh, really young, age 38. I think he had a lot of uh, alcohol and drug abuse issues that kind of caught up to him toward the end. So unfortunately, he's he's not around. Diane West, she's still around, Donnie. Mm. That's the mom in the movie, Lucy. Yeah. she. This is rare air, too, that we have an Oscar winner here. Oscar alert. We should make a... I should have a button somewhere when... <laughs> Oscar alert when we when we actually have one because it doesn't happen often. She's won two Oscars throughout her career for best supporting actress for Hannah and her sisters and Bullets Over Broadway. And uh, a lot of our listeners though may recognize her best from Edward Scissorhands mm. and this, of course. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland as David. 
Uh, he's best known as the character Jack Bauer from 24. I mean, that, that show ran for a decade or so, right? Uh, <laughs> he was also in Stand By Me, uh, the, uh, both Young Guns movies. So, I mean, he's got a long, long history. He's still active today. Hey, and by the and, way, while we're on Young Guns, it had Blue Diamond Phillips, who also played <laughs> Richie Valens from <laughs> <laughs> Hilarious. Yeah, well, you brought it That's back awesome. around. I'll give you I'll give you credit for that. It's got Barnard <laughs> Hughes as grandpa. He was uh Smoke, you may remember him most from Tron. He was in that. Oh yeah. And Doc Hollywood, Donnie. Mm. Unfortunately, he passed away the See, you had to point it out. So every time I say it now, it's, listen, you know, but he had a long, he had a long, long life. I mean, he died at the age of 90 in 2006. So he had a yeah, good, we can good, only good hope, long run, you, you know? know, and he was in like every TV show known to man too. Like when you look through his filmography, it's like, I think he's one of those ones that was in love boat and gun smoke, you know, all that shit. Oh, yeah, just shit. curious. Mm-hmm. How many crapster piece, uh, episodes would we be up to if we all lived to 90 smoke? He'd be a hundred. Yeah, no. Yeah. Let's, you know, like, let's, let's just hope that uh, the Lord takes us to heaven by the time. I'd be hoping I'm, like, taking a crap on my own by that time. So <laughs> yeah, <I'm> exactly. <laughs> exactly. On your own? I mean, like, wait a minute. You got, you have crap assistance? Well, without a, a colostomy bag or something. Okay. Or well. I'm sorry. Not to get too into it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> how that would happen, I guess, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need the better details for sure. <laughs> Edward Herman as Max. This is the uh, the boyfriend of the mom, Lucy, right, throughout the movie. He may be remembered from the uh, the Kurt Russell, Goldie Hawn classic, Overboard. Remember, he's the other guy in that movie. Mm. <laughs> he, also had a re- yeah. he also had a really long run in Gilmore Girls back in the, what was that, late 90s, early 2000s. That, that was a popular show. And then he also played Herman Munster in Here Come the Munsters, <laughs> which I barely remember. You know, there, that was even a thing. connection to be made here. And the poster, there's a poster for Munsters Go Home down in uh, the little vampire cave. Yep. That must have gave him inspiration. Like, you know what? A decade from now, I'm going to play Herman Munster in a shitty made-for-TV movie. <laughs> yeah. Kind of speaking of which, uh, uh, Fred Gwynn, who, who played Herman Munster, uh, he was also uh, considered for the role of Max. Hmm. Oh, huh. that would have been interesting. Was he ever in anything with Lou Diamond Phillips? <laughs> I guess that's the question. Probably at some point. Uh, Unfortunately, he's also passed away. Um, Alex, well, uh, uh, while we're talking about other people that could have been cast, uh, apparently uh, Jim Carrey was up for the role, or they had an idea of, of Jim Carrey possibly playing David in this, uh, <laughs> since he had once played a vampire before in Once Bitten. Mm. I feel like this isn't the first time we've brought, we've talked about a movie. <laughs> and, <laughs> I feel like this isn't the first time we've brought up a movie and like, oh yeah, they tried to get Jim Carrey in this. And then, you know, like all like stuff from the late eighties, early nineties, where he must've been like the bridesmaid on like a thousand roles <laughs> until, <laughs> until finally he hit it big. With, what was his first big one? I guess Ace Ventura or I guess. Yeah. Well, Slipping Color, the TV, the TV well, series, yeah, yeah, right. One that like, was his ticket to like, yeah, to Ace Ventura and other other things. But it seems like he was a guy that like everybody must have seen as talented, but like they didn't he never quite got into like a lot of stuff. And then once his star yeah. he, like he went from zero to a hundred, you know, once his star rose. Uh, yeah, in nineteen ninety four he had three movies come out. 
Oh yeah, he like by the then, mass, uh, he, he's Dumb and Dumber and Ace Ventura. <laughs> yeah, all those can like, he's the king at that point, you know, from there on, yeah. you're right. Anyways, Alex Winter as Marco. Uh he's done lots of lots of things throughout his career, but you would best know him as Bill in the Bill and Ted movies. Also, I was you know, I didn't look this part up either, but we were talking about it while watching it. But was the first Bill and Ted movie before or after Lost Boys? I'm pretty sure that was after. I mean, without looking it up. That feels like that was yeah. early nineties. Well, no, no, it was eighties. The first one was the eighties, but it might have been eighty-eight or eighty-nine. The second one was ninety or ninety-one or something like that. Corey Feldman has Edgar Frog, big, big-time face from the late eighties, early nineties. He was in the Goonies, Stand by Me, which there's a, already a couple connections to Stand by Me here. The Burbs, which that's a movie that we need to try to get on one of these shows that we do. <laughs> I love the Burbs, and. The other frog, Alan Frog, was played by Jameson Newlander. So that's, uh, I couldn't think of his name earlier. That's his name, Jameson Newlander. And he he may be recognized from The Blob, you know, the remake from the 80s, not not the 50s original, obviously. He wasn't alive. And Bone Tomahawk, which I've heard good things about, but never sit yeah. down and watched. Yeah. Odd movie. Yeah, it's is, really good. That's a good one, yeah. yeah. Uh, just kind of jumping in here. Uh, so the question was, uh, was Fred Gwynn ever in anything with Lou Diamond Phillips? He was. Okay. Well. Uh, they, yeah, they both did a did a movie, um, Disorganized Crime, with Ed O'Neill and uh, a few other ones uh, from 19, 1989. I don't remember it. So coming up but. on Crapster Piece in the month of March, <laughs> Disorganized <laughs> Crime. Yeah, uh, that's it. <laughs> what is it? Hey, why it's buttercup? Popcorn, add some butter to hot popcorn. Mix it up, wrap it up, buttercup is born. It's delicious. So nutritious. It's a taste delight. It's so munchy. Crisp and crunchy. You'll enjoy each bite. Eat butter crunched buttercup. Popcorn at its best. Served in a king-size cup. For you, the listeners of the All-American Spook Show podcast, Audible is offering a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. So I hopped on over to audible.com and just typed in The Lost Boys to see what would pop up. And we've got a few things here. We've got The Lost Boys, uh, Decker Lazarus novels, book 11. Good God. So there's at least 10 previous of this uh, series Great for, for you to listen to, Donnie. Actually, no, I'm mm-hmm. sorry. The, further down, it says, this is by Faye Kellerman, by the way. It says uh, book 26 of this series. So, boy, have we all missed out for many years, apparently. This one's almost 12 hours long. So, that's yeah. if you want to scratch your itch of the uh, Decker Lazarus novels, you can listen to that over there. We've got Lost Boys by Orson Scott Card. That one is just over 16 hours long. And then we've got The Never King. Vicious Lost Boys, Book One by Nikki St. Crow. That one's uh, a little over four and a half hours long. So there, there's, I believe it or not, there's a lot of books about various topics that say Lost Boy or Lost Boys or some variation of such. So I've got 158 results here on Audible. So if any of that floats your boat, hop on over to audibletrial.com slash spookshow. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash spookshow for your free audio books. So and I'm going to Go back over to imdb.com and click on plot summary to see what pops up. I bet you we got at least one long one here, right? Yep. Yep, we do. I'll give you the short one first. After moving to a new town, two brothers discover that the area is a haven for vampires. 
there's a couple other ones, but we'll just go with the longest one here. This was uh, submitted by <laughs> Jay Remington W. over on IMDb. Financial troubles force a recent divorcee and her teenage sons, Mike and Sam, to settle down with her father in the California town of Santa Carla. The town is plagued by bikers and some mysterious deaths. At first, Sam laughs off rumors he hears about vampires who inhabit the small town until he makes friends with two other boys who claim to be vampire hunters. But after Mike meets a beautiful girl at the local amusement park, he begins to exhibit the classic signs of vampirism, sleeping days and staying out all night and is drawn into the gang of bikers by the beautiful girl. The younger boy starts getting into trouble because of his friend's obsession. Fearing for his own safety, Sam recruits the two young vampire hunters to save his brother by finding and destroying the head vampire. Uh, yeah, I guess that's a good enough description. Mm-hmm. Yep. So where do we? Where do you want to start? Right Let's see who's uh, who well, next nominated? time on the All American Spook Show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was like um, we all gave it a fair rating. Good night, everybody. <laughs> yeah, I guess we kind of because uh, we all threw all threw them up on the wheel. Who's whose movie was this? Mine. Yeah, there you go. Tiana, this is uh, it, what do you think? I mean, without giving your rating away, and obviously, I think we all, I think it's fairly known that we all love this movie and appreciate it. And we've oh, all yeah. seen it a dozen times. So, where do you think this one ranks of like your some of your favorite '80s horror movies? Oh, what's up there? <laughs> and, and that that kind of is a big question it's a loaded question because there's so many good movies horror movies from the 80s right yeah yeah i think it's a tough one i mean everything just works well together and it just yeah no you know one of the things that i saw somewhere about this is this movie kind of brought uh, kind of ushered in the modern era of vampire movies and that like it kind of made it a little young a little younger a little sexier it kind of gave vampire movies a different vibe than had been seen a lot before this and I'll, I'll tell you one big influence on this though is is and we talked we were talking about mtv off air before we got into this episode for whatever reason i don't even remember why it came up but i think mtv is a big part of this i mean it was huge in 87 when it came out in the editing style and then the fact that music was so incorporated into the movie and very you know it was very much influenced by mtv's shooting you know music video style there's no doubt about that and I think too, like just having that the the mostly younger cast, you know, other than like Diane West and Herman Munster or whatever his name was, <laughs> the, Fred you know, Gwynn, the older yeah, Fred, Fred Gwynn wasn't in this, but you know, <laughs> yeah. Uh, other than oh, other right, as, yeah. older aspects of this cast, it's got a mostly really young cast, right? So like that, that's going to make everything feel hip, right? You know, I, which is obviously what they were going for. Yeah. So what you're telling yeah. me is. Mm-hmm. Because this movie came out, we ended up with Twilight. In a roundabout way, probably. One star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> One star. <laughs> you know, speaking of Twilight, I noticed something, and I, I never noticed this before, and I don't know if it's because it was 4K, maybe because it was so crystal clear in 4K. Whenever they kill the first zombie, the first zombie, <laughs> when they kill the first vampire in the cave, you know, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, oh, oh, it was Bill from Bill and Ted. Uh, yeah. Mar- uh, Marco. <laughs> when they kill him and they leave and they go out in the daylight, they had glitter on their, on their, uh, yeah, the jackets block. or whatever. Like, hmm. I'm like, so, what the hell is this? Glitter? Yeah. Like in the sunlight, it was glittering. And I'm like, what the, f- I don't remember ever seeing that yeah. before. Like, did they, did somebody throw some kind of damn Twilight reference in this damn thing or something? 
<laughs> so I don't know why they had glitter on their jackets, but the blood was glittering in the sunlight. So. Yeah, Corey Haim actually mentioned something about this in a in a documentary or something, and he said that they they did put glitter in the in the fake blood to make it shimmer and uh, kind of uh, shine with the light with the lighting. Hmm. Um, wow. But and yeah, it, and that yeah. makes sense. That makes me wonder about. The sparkling vampires in Twilight. Yeah, <laughs> yeah if where, you know, if you're able to talk to, you know, if you were able to talk to whoever wrote, was it Stephanie Meyer? Was that her name that wrote the book? Yes. If you were able to talk yeah, to her, I then she got that idea. I bet it, I, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm with you, one star. <laughs> <laughs> um. Oh God, man. I <laughs> I gotta think about that movie again. I don't want to do that. There, I mean, like this, this movie is kind of, to me, it's uh, a series of like iconic type of moments, you know, like, and it really is just so well put together, you know, and, and it, and it is really like a time capsule too, you know, like, especially with the, that comic book shop. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, well, the, yeah. They go right from a video store, which yeah, is awesome. Yeah. With her mom in the video store to the comic book shops. The next that, scene. That was oh, one of the notes I made yeah. when I was watching. I was like, man, I, I just want to go to that, that video store and go to that comic book shop. Yeah. <laughs> I saw yeah, nerds. Yeah. Well, I think man, I read something saying that, that that comic book shop's still there and they still have a copy of the comic yeah. book of, uh, uh, wow, that's awesome. you know, the vampire comic yeah, book. Like the, the vampire like, like pamphlet that they hand out to people. I guess. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, like the guy lets you take pictures with the uh, comic book for free. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah, because uh, like we said, most of this was shot in Santa Cruz, which I guess you know is, I thought was kind of weird that like, well, we're just going to call it Santa Carla instead of why not just go with the name Santa? Maybe they didn't want to give a shitty reputation to Santa Cruz, so they came up with a <laughs> fake name. Yeah, that is. Oh, Santa Cruz, the murder capital of the world. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they didn't want to be associated with not only vampirism, but just all the horrible things that apparently happen in this town. <laughs> they definitely paint a bad picture of this. Like, man, this is a shitty town, you know, but it's it's also like, I guess that California, like it's like a hippie, like a former hippie town, but mixed with like 80s punkers and shit. You know, it's just a weird, it's a weird scene. Definitely had the whole 80s, like California surfer. You know, with the whole video store and the comic book thing going on, and the yeah, like I said, the punks outside when they were playing the you know people people are strange. The Echo and the Bunnyman cover. But I'll you know you just reminded me of mentioning the comic book shop again. All I could think of when I'm looking at that comic book shop and that video store is how much that shit is worth now. I'm like I'm looking I'm like <laughs> God damn all those tapes. Look at those things, man. You know, the, or all these random comics. Like holy shit, I'll take every one of them. Five copies of each. Yep, yep. And I was noticing that like there was like City Heat. Like a clamshell. There's a whole bunch of Warner clamshells, obvious reasons, because Warner yeah. produced it. Yeah, <laughs> so there's yeah, a bunch had, of Warner clamshells. Yeah, they had tons <laughs> of them, like, just stacked up back there. Like, a whole shelf of lined up of them. I'm just like, oh, man, yeah. how valuable is the shit in the, just in the background of this movie? Speaking of shit in the background of this oh, movie, did you notice in his bedroom? Yeah. You notice in his bedroom there was a poster for Reform School Girls? Yeah. 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 That was funny. <laughs> Which and a plug, shameless plug. That was a Grindhouse Gutter number. I don't know which one, but yeah, yeah. Go over to the, <laughs> go over to our YouTube and Grindhouse Gutter. Uh, one of the early episodes too, like one of the first three or yeah, four that we yeah, did. Three or four. Yeah, so yeah. This would have been like late twenty twenty two when we did that one, I believe. But mm. without having the number in front of me. But yeah, I thought that was and and I don't remember that being like 
That must have been like there must have been some connection to that movie for them to put that poster back there. It had somebody, one of the writers, or yeah, one of the, some something. Because that movie was even pretty obscure. I mean, it was pretty obscure back then. Even nobody was like, you know, promoting reform school girls everywhere. <laughs> so Jason, yeah, I'll, I'll see what I can find. <laughs> so Jason Patrick is the the big brother here, Michael, right? In the movie, maybe I'm. I, I didn't see exactly who it was, but you notice in uh, Corey Haim's room where he's got the Reform School Girls poster, there's also a poster that looks like a, a model, like a male model, scantily clad on a door of his closet, and he kind of opens the door and closes it, but I could be, you know, maybe it was just, it was a quick shot, but it almost looked like a poster of Jason Patrick. And I could be, I could be wrong, but I was like, wait a minute, why would he have like a almost sexy poster of his own brother? <laughs> on the yeah. door, but it looked. Oh, it was it Rob Lowe? Well, okay, yeah, that was, was Rob. Lowe. Yeah, they do look kind of similar, so I guess you know. Yeah. Still, it's still. But kinda, there, that begs yeah. another question: Why does he have a scantily clad? Yeah. Why does he have a? Yeah, I guess whatever, right? I mean, to each their own. But <laughs> I, I just thought I was. I was that's kind of weird. Right next to the Reform School Girls poster, kind of a weird, <laughs> weird situation. It was in that closet where he kept putting all of his grandpa's like taxidermy shit. It was on that one. Yeah, the taxidermy beaver and uh, whatever other, you know. Yeah, it would just ran- uh, yeah, randomly appear in his room. What did you think of like throughout the movie when like, so they got around, I'm sure this was budgetary or, you know, just a, a creative choice. How they got around the, you never actually really seeing the vampires fly around. They just kind of do a lot of like aerial shots sped up or reversed or uh, things like that instead of ac- you actually seeing like vampires flying around in the sky. Except in the conclusion, the, the final bounce, I don't know, maybe, like you said, it might have been budgetary. It might have been that they were just saving the actual flight stuff for that last scene or whatever, the mm-hmm. conclusion. Yeah, true. I guess you, you know, so, some of that you do see towards the end in that final like assault on the house, right? Yeah, or at least inside the house when they were battling, you know, inside the house against the the scene that I'm thinking about most is the the deer heads and other antelope heads on the wall when they're like going, you know, Michael and David are flying back and forth into those, and he finally, you know, well, yeah, this yeah. isn't really giving it. We'll get to it, but everybody's probably seen the Lost Boys, but yeah. if not, spoiler Hunt alert, but <laughs> <laughs> with the antelope horns. That uh, also another thing about that, while I talk about it right now, is uh, this movie kind of uh, I don't know if it just sort of throws out certain vampire lore. You know, like the, the, in, the vampires got to be invited in, right? They invite in. Yeah. What's the name? The lead vampire, or whatever. Uh, you know, she does <laughs> earlier on. But there's other times when, like, the, like we're talking about the siege on the house by David yeah, after they've staked uh, Marco, and the you know, nighttime falls, and they leave the cave and they assault the house. Well, they just come right into the house. Yeah, they're not being invited. They just so bust in just because. Yes. So they kind of ignore their own lore in certain parts. And then also with David being impaled by antelope horns, they aren't, they aren't wooden horns. You know, it's not like you got stake through the heart with a wooden stake, which I thought was supposed yeah. to be, but you know. Now I do <laughs> believe that though was on purpose. I saw something somewhere where apparently they were, that was the reason they ended his, uh, ended him that way. And he didn't just like die like the rest did, or, you know, you know, remember how they all died kind of in various ways. Right. When yeah, they died, yeah. they like one blew up and another one melted yeah, and all, yeah. all these various ways. Apparently that was to keep him alive enough to where they could put him in the second one. 
Oh, okay. So that's why. So, oh, so they would have brought him back and said, oh, he got state, but it wasn't with Wood, so he's yeah. still alive. Yeah, they found, they. <laughs> it was some loophole, well, that, I guess, that, you know, it was loose enough. Yeah, the only uh, connection between uh, Reform School Girls and the Lost Boys were three stunt crew uh, members. That was it. Uh, probably one of those stunt crew members had a poster on and said, I'm going to put this in the scene. <laughs> yeah, probably. This will be hilarious, right next to the half-naked Rob Lowe poster. <laughs> the bridge scene. I mean, this is probably one of the more iconic scenes from the movie, right? Awesome. Where like they're walking across a uh, a rail, like a train railway bridge, and then they just all kind of hang off of it, like you know, not quite like bats, but you know, they're just hanging off and kind of daring each other to hold on as long as they can, and then eventually start, you know, just fall, you know, and they drop one by one. And now, do you think, <laughs> do you think in that moment he actually flew? I'm talking about Michael, that you know, because he's kind of like the last one. He doesn't want to. You know, he, he doesn't understand what's going on. He falls, and then all of a sudden it just kind of, there's like this weird kind of dream sequence briefly, and then he just wakes up in his bed. So do you think he actually kind of flew and then wakes up the next morning kind of like drunk? Well, I think, you know, well, it shows him when he's floating later. He can't control it yet, so I think he didn't necessarily fly. He just floated down. <laughs> you know, he just kind of <laughs> let go, and then he, he didn't fall straight down or whatever. He just kind of floated down, mm-hmm. even though he couldn't control the flight pattern and, you know, how to fly yet, I guess, or whatever. He, I, that's what I assume is that he just kind of, you know, floated down through the fog or whatever yeah. until he hit whatever. I'm thinking of like, I'm thing. thinking of like an old, like Bugs Bunny cartoon or something when they, they eat something that they like. Oh, that was really good. And then they just kind of jump up in there and float down. Like, <laughs> like what? <laughs> Look, you can't see, you know, this is a podcast or it's an audio, but you can't see what I'm doing, right? I'm doing the hand gesture like, you know, like that. <laughs> talking about them flying and stuff like that though the the one there's a couple making out in the back of a car and the guy's trying to you know he's trying to do his business he's trying to make out with her meanwhile she's just sitting there reading a sad sack comic and just laughing her ass off <laughs> i don't she might be the first <laughs> human being on the planet that's ever laughed out loud reading a sad sack comic book <laughs> but then they get scooped up like the roof gets ripped off and they get scooped up in the air but that happens a few times in the movie where people just kind of get scooped up and you never see what what happens to them right <laughs> yeah it's just like off screen presumably you know kills now you talked about the vampire lore i was kind of wondering throughout the movie like it had been a while since i watched it so i didn't remember a lot of the little small details of things like how michael became a vampire but he never I guess he never really truly became a vampire. Right? He was kind of half a vampire because he drank blood when they gave him a bottle that he thought was wine. Mm-hmm. And he drinks it. So that means he drank vampire blood, right? So now he's kind of half there, but you only become, in their version of the movie, you only become fully vampire when you feed, feed right? When right. you drink someone else's blood, right? Mm-hmm. I don't remember if that's a thing for other vampire movies or books or stories. Maybe it was. I don't, yeah, but yeah, for this one, I guess it was David's blood that was in the wine bottle, mm-hmm. and he yeah. drank that, and so then he's partially just like uh, Star and Lat Lat was it Laddie? Laddie, yeah, Laddie. Or partial because yeah. never feasted feasted on <laughs> human blood, I guess, or whatever. So well, they were. Oh yeah, that's but, right. They're never. I, I think you know if I do have any issues with this movie, it's that they're never quite clear on the lore, like you mentioned a little bit there. But you know, it's like it. It kind of it seems like it jumps around a little bit and you, and you really got to kind of stretch to believe some of the lore that they lay out here. And I think the lesson is just, you know, just let it go. Don't, don't hang up on it too much. Right. You know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. 
because if you do, I guess they didn't remove them. A whole lot of continuity when it came to that to the lore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because so. even when they bring Max into the house, now they do throw the thing out like he has to he has to be invited in, right? Remember, he comes yeah. to the door and they're like, "Oh, doesn't he say something like, well, 'Well, aren't you going to let me in?'" Right? Mm. Aren't you going to invite yeah. me in? Yes, come on yeah, in. Yeah, yes, yeah you're the man of the house. I'm not coming in until you invite me. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so they make it abundantly clear, like, okay, he's been welcomed in. So maybe. Going back to what you were talking about a minute ago, where, you know, when they attack the house and they just kind of bust in, maybe in their version, it's like, well, the headmaster has already been invited in here. So now the veil is lifted. We can all. Go ahead and say what you think it was. Now, Max says at the end, when he reveals that, you know, he's the headmaster by a fire, they say, how come all the stuff didn't work on you? Like the garlic and stuff. And he said, because you invited me in. Mm. So. When the other vampires, David and them, came in, they just came in without being invited. And, and that's, that's why, why the frog buffers were able to kill them. See, that's why we hired you, Tiana. You're smarter than us. <laughs> you picked up on these not-so-subtle nuances that we should have picked up on. Wait a minute, she's being paid? Yeah. Oh, yeah, well, you didn't know? <laughs> you said hired. Yeah. <laughs> So anyways, uh, moving on. Uh, how about La Bamba, huh? <laughs> Richie Valens. Yeah, the Richie, the classic Richie Valens distraction move. Never <laughs> fail. So, that, so then that makes sense then when they do the vampire test on Max when he came in for the first time, right? And the Frog Brothers are sitting at the table and they're trying, they put, they put like, you know, raw garlic on his food and it doesn't do anything other than like, you know, gross because you just ate a bunch of garlic. And then they throw water on him or... Spill some holy water holy, on him. Or yeah. They had holy water and they threw yeah. it in his lap or whatever. And he's so, like, Does it burn? Then that explains no, why like, none of that shit worked on him because he had been vi- invited in, right? Yeah. yeah. There you go. So you learn things. Uh-oh. He says that too, right? He says something like uh, yeah. later on that uh, you never invite a vampire into your house. You know, you could, you know, once you do, I, I have power over you, basically. You can yeah. take them. And I guess they showed what Michael could do. I'm uh, not Michael. What David did to Michael with the whole maggots, rice, noodles, mm. worms thing. Yeah. Yeah, that was weird too. Like that was just what was that? Like was that just like I think that was showing that their power of hallucination yeah. that he can make yeah. you see what they wanted whatever you know they wanted you to see. Yeah. I do like that that he has to say it like three times, like maggots. No, for real, there's maggots. <laughs> huh? you're, you're eating maggots. Yeah. <laughs> Rice <laughs> is just my <laughs> the uh really so, probably noodles. They're worms, no. Really, <laughs> probably other than like, you know, your final fight, you know, the uh, when they're kind of killing the vampires and stuff, probably the goriest scene in the movie is the beach party massacre, right? Yeah. Where they just yeah. kind of descend yeah. on a beach. Like there's a party randomly going on on the beach and yeah. then they just descend on it and just, just fucking go to town, right? They just start feeding and the bloodlust. One where they bite into, was it a bald guy's head that they bite into and it just like sprays blood? Yeah. Yeah. Real fast editing so you but know I, when i was when i was going through looking up the the kills in this mm-hmm. uh they they listed as unnamed surfer nazi <laughs> which is well, so on, apparently there's nazis in this so apparently well, I think, got, yeah i think that's what the uh uh the beach gathering i guess was because there were skinheads i guess i didn't pay attention uh, I didn't well, pay there was one close. at least. I didn't pay attention close enough to see like what type of gathering it was and who was <laughs> who was attending said gathering. I was just like, yeah, well, maybe, just... maybe they were to that scene before and, and they cut it down to that. 
I just figured it was just a bunch of assholes on the beach and then they decided to eat them. You know, like I didn't think past it, but it's, <laughs> it's the gory. I think other than, you know, the, the final fight, you know, it's probably the goriest thing you see in the movie for sure. The, this one and coupled with the stuff you see at the end is probably where the R rating comes from. Right. So. Yeah. And of course this was an eighties movie, so it couldn't get away without having at least one montage. Although I was surprised that you get the montage, but it's not like a super long one with its own soundtrack and everything. Well, it does have, it's got some music, but it's brief, right? When they're getting the house ready, yeah. when they're getting the house ready for the attack, they're, they're cutting up the, by the way, where do they get that bag of garlic from? Christ almighty. It's, <laughs> well, I mean, it's a six, garlic was, oh, it was, it was readily available. <laughs> well, you could just get garlic <laughs> left and right in the eighties. I, I forgot about that. It was, it was a yeah. thing. I mean, you know, it's a it's a six foot there's... long bag of garlic. Where the fuck do you buy this at? There was was Sam's Club a thing yet? <laughs> well, I mean, you can't just create quicksand. You know, what do you do for? Uh... Apparently, you start rub, you start rubbing on balloons. I don't. <laughs> well, Will left, so he he must have got tired of us uh, making the Richie Valens. Uh, uh... <laughs> But anyways, yeah, like, I, I was just wondering, like, as he's got that massive bag of garlic, I'm like, God damn, where'd he get that? You know, like, <laughs> same, uh, the distributor of, uh, Outback restaurants, you know, <laughs> chain restaurants brought him, brought in a bag of garlic. They fill up the tub and, and they go get the holy water, right? They go get that from a church. Um, so that was a pretty funny scene, but that, that you know, you get the montage of them getting the house ready and then, uh, all the vampires finally attack, and then one by one, they're taken out in, in various gruesome ways, right? Like, the one kind of gets, like, uh, tossed into the uh, the holy water garlic tub yeah, <laughs> and then melts, right? So that was that was a pretty good scene, right? Yeah, that was cool. He it, goes through two stages, right? He's coming up out of the water, and he's got, like, the pockmarked skin where it's burning off, and then he goes down again, and it comes up, and he's basically a vampiric skeleton, right? Yeah. Um. Then you get uh, the the one that's, for lack of a better way of putting it, he's exploded to death by, <laughs> by death by stereo. Death by yeah, yeah. Which is kind, which is kind of a weird death for a vampire, right? Like you wouldn't think that would really affect them like that, but they no, he, he hit it him with a, just to get that one liner in there. And, yeah, and well, clearly, yeah. <laughs> clearly, it's a very eighties thing to like. Let's do this just so we can get this funny line in there. Death by yeah. stereo. He, that was the one that he hit with the bow and arrow. So was there something with the bow and arrow where it had holy water or garlic well, or I, some I, such? I mean, maybe it's just because it was a wooden shaft, you know, like getting staked by wood. I mean, I, technically, I guess that would fall into the, you know, it goes through his chest, and then, but then it goes into the stereo, and I, I guess because of the electricity going through it, and then, and then the Frog Brothers saying that they all die in different various, you know, ways or whatever. Mm-hmm. It was just happened to be exploding, but it seemed to me more like, you know, it's this wood shaft with a metal thing on it going into an electric stereo. And then he blows up from, I don't, I don't know. I still think it's just, I still going to go with my initial. They just did it to get the death by stereo one liner yeah. in there. Mm, pretty much. That's good. Point. And, and you did get a pretty good head explosion. Yeah. Know, scene yeah. out of that. So oh, as gory as they could get in 1987 R rated movie, I guess. Right. Yeah, because I mean, it wasn't like a Tom Savini had explosion or anything. No, and it's really quick too. You know, you really have to be like getting getting into the moment to really see it because it does happen fast. But then uh, Kiefer Sutherland's character David, he's impaled on this massive collection of horns because <laughs> they they 
they've they've set it up throughout the entire movie that Grandpa is like, you know, I guess he just taxidermies the shit out of everything. So <laughs> there there's your reason as to why he would have like a hundred horns all <laughs> all in one place. So eventually, you know, Michael kind of vampires out and then they they have the big showdown and then he just impales him on the horns. Although like we explained earlier, he uh-huh. didn't he didn't disappear. I thought he was just trying to hook up with that old lady, and that was the way they were implying that he was horny. Yeah, the the, <laughs> the widow Johnson or whatever the hell her name was. Yeah, he he, he was always going over there to stuff the widow Johnson. I mean, to bring the widow Johnson stuff. Down. Yeah, just bring her, <laughs> bring her things, bring her. Uh, but then this after that, that's when you get the big twist that Max is the head vampire. Now I remember when I was you know watching this when I'm like eight or nine years old, ten roughly, you know, somewhere in the late eighties. That scared the shit out of me because, you know, like, I guess you're kind of convinced that like, oh, he's on their side. And then when, you know, when you're a less clever little kid, you know, you don't pick up on all the, the, uh, mm-hmm. obvious little nuances. Yeah. You don't pick up on the obvious, but I remember when he turns around and he's, you know, he's got the fucking, he goes from what he looks like to the vampire face. him scares the shit out of me. Right. It's almost like the, the, you know, the vampire in Fright Night or something. And just, what the fuck, man, <laughs> just scares the shit out of you. Um, but I thought it was a pretty good twist, right? That because because the way they built it was in that moment, like they finally took down David. He's the big bad guy the whole movie. They took him down. Now everything should be okay. Michael should be normal, right? Because they they keep saying that like once they take down the head vampire, then if you're a half vampire, then you just turn back to normal, right? But so mm-hmm. they take out David, and you're like, well, everything should be normal, right? No, it's not. So that means oh shit, you know, <laughs> there's a there's Dracula's hanging around, right? Nosferatu's here somewhere, right? And then it turns out to be the dude that owns the video store. <laughs> Still pretty good though. But he gets taken out by grandpa who has these massive wooden stakes on the back of his uh, Jeep, whatever the hell kind of vehicle that was. I don't even know what that was. Some Jeep jalopy looking thing. Yeah. The he, weird thing was we were talking about that is remember earlier, a little bit earlier, he was carving up these stakes to bank fence posts out of them in an earlier scene and putting them in the ground, you know, like as a fence or whatever. But then I don't know. I don't know if it was like, he went through the fence post and then he yeah. just busted into his own house. And then the, the fence post stakes. No, no, because if you, if you go back and <laughs> if you go back and pay attention to it, you remember that brief moment where, um, they tell him that, Oh, the widow, whatever her name was just called and your date's going to be at seven o'clock. Oh, we're supposed to go on yeah. a date tonight. Right. Remember that when he, yeah. when he, uh, pulls away, if you look at the back of the car, you can see four or five of those stakes sticking out of the back. Like, oh, really? Like, uh, you know, sharp side out. Like, they're sticking out of the back of it. Oh. Well, so, I also noticed this time around that when she has Max over for dinner, that Grandpa keeps, like, spying on him, and he just keeps, like, you know, mm-hmm. it looks like something's, something's up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, it's like he notices. I, I, I think what you get in the end is then when you, when you look back on the whole movie from the very end, you see that he knew what was going on on some level because yeah. the very, literally, like, I think what the last line of the movie is grandpa, like going to get some milk or whatever, something to drink out of the fridge. And he turns around and is like, one thing about living in Santa Clara, Carla, I never could stomach all the damn vampires. And then, you know, <laughs> cue, cue the music, right? And then so, that was the end. That was the end. Then, then the lights go down, scene, credits roll. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I think it's a great ending, you know, to a, a great yeah, 80s, yeah. 80s horror movie. But I think when you look back on it, Grandpa Grandpa knew more than you thought the whole yeah. movie, right? 
I mean, he might not have known about the Master Vampire, this or that, or whatever, but he he suspected that he may have been a vampire, I guess, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He's been, and clearly from the line, he's been through this on some level before, right? So, yep. if you were, I mean, the, he had already, like, he'd already prepared those stakes earlier. Whether you know, even even the fence post stakes that he was doing, and like I said, the ones I didn't notice, but the ones that were on his jeep and whatnot. So, if you were in today's universe of like where every movie has something to do with a big universe of movies or something like that, <laughs> uh, there would have been a prequel to this, like you know, Grandpa, the early years, you know. <laughs> <laughs> the early days of Santa Carla. <laughs> so there you go. That's uh, the Lost Boys from 1987. So, uh, Tiana, this was uh, your nominee. You, we spun the wheel and you won it. So we will let you go first. What are your th- final thoughts and what's your star rating on this one? Well, this one is definitely a classic and definitely a film that you can throw on whenever. The popcorn flick. Great actors. Great choreography. Awesome soundtrack. <laughs> yeah. Memorable for I think sure. I know anybody that doesn't like this movie, to be honest. But, um. Well, until Will pointed out that it was connected to Twilight, I don't know. We might have a couple. <laughs> <laughs> well, Twilight's one of my favorites. So. Oh, no. <laughs> no. That means in some way, Twilight might make it onto our airwaves. Damn it. <laughs> you put the thought oh. in my brain. No, I think I'm gonna have COVID when that. I'm gonna have COVID when that. Yeah. Happens, I just, I just tripped and fell and found the purest strain of COVID. <laughs> oh, you give it a star rating, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I definitely give this one a five. All right, uh, Donnie, what do you say? So yeah, um, yeah, this movie's awesome. Uh, nostalgic, um, excellent cast, great movie by itself, and you know. It just so happens to be one of the best horror movies of the 80s. And I think the case could be made for one of the best vampire movies, too. Still yet, like, I want to make sure I'm kind of rating this uh, accurately for, you know, the time period and, you know, its its influence as well. And also for as much as I enjoyed it. So uh, I'm not going to go quite as high as a five, but I, I will give it a four and a half. So I think it deserves certainly that. Well, what do you say? I'm going to go with a four. Uh, very good movie. Uh, you know, you just got to take off for, uh, you know, the eventual coming of Twilight. <laughs> <laughs> you you got to, you got to shave off somewhere, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Professor, what do you say? Uh, yeah, it's a classic. I mean, and it is one that you can put on and and watch. And you know, it's not like you're like, oh, well, I've seen this about twenty times before. It's like you you still get into it, watch it. Oh, yeah. it holds your attention all the way through, beginning to end. So I think the editing and the story writing and everything, acting and everything's on point as far as for you know being peak '80s movie. Although I'll probably say something that is a little maybe surprising. I mean, maybe not surprising at the time if you were watching this in 1987 and you were kind of. You know, it was the peak of MTV, and we'd already talked about the influence of that on this movie. It was a bit, for me, the first time I saw it, a bit overrated to that point of, like, I'm, not, I'm looking at this extended MTV music video or something, and then another vampire movie that came out that same year that I, you know, at the time I thought was better because it was underrated was Near Dark. I don't know mm. if y'all seen that one. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. That came out the same year, 1987. Similar themes of these younger, hip, you know, sexy style vampires or whatever. And the same type of thing of this group of vampires taking on somebody new in town and, you know, 
because it comes a love interest to the female vampire who turns him into one. So, I mean, you got a lot of similarities there, but one thing that it had that this one didn't, it wasn't influenced by the MTV style of editing music video type stuff. Near Dark wasn't. So I think at that point, me being inundated with that, I think I gave the edge to Near Dark back then. Like, I liked it better than Lost Boys because it wasn't so, you know, like a, like I said, just an extended MTV music video. Over the years, though, I, I softened on that. And I, I mean, I think the Lost Boys is peak 80s. Uh, and, you know, as MTV's gone to the wayside or whatever, I, I don't mind that that style. I think I, I see that as what it was in the 80s. So I've come around to liking it. I didn't I didn't hate it by any means back then, but I would have if you had told me to rate this movie back in 1987 versus now, I probably would have gave it a lower rating than what I'm going to give it now. But mm. Only because of what I said, you know, being inundated with MTV style of stuff just being everywhere. Uh, but no, now I think I'll, I'll go with a four and a four and a quarter on it. It is hugely influential and, uh, I love it. And I, I don't ever get tired of watching it when we put it on so four and a quarter. I'm going to echo your rating with four and a quarter because like, I, it really is one of the better horror movies of the eighties. And if I was going to sit there and rank like a top 10, top 20, you know, I'd have to really look at, you know, pour over the list. It's a loaded kind of question because there's so much good stuff that came out in the eighties, you know, like we said mm-hmm. off the top. So I I would probably put this in top 10 or 15 air of, you know, the best stuff from the eighties. Um, it, it's, it's really a, truly a time capsule of the time. And I, I could see your point smoke of like, maybe at the time you're kind of like, ah, oh, this, you know, MTV, you know, maybe yuppie feeling kind of bullshit. You know, kind of. I don't know how to phrase it, but I can <laughs> it see had, where, it just had a lot of glitz and glam to yeah, it. Yeah, you know, yeah. I can see where you'd, you'd be <laughs> I mean, coming from at that time, but like you know, now now you kind of look back on that time as something you know you can kind of appreciate because it was so long ago, and you're yeah, nostalgia factor, all that. So I think that comes into play with all of our ratings in some way, whether we're even thinking about it or not. So four and a quarter is fair for me. So I think I'm gonna stay there, and plus to compare it to some of the other stuff that we've watched so far in the first 200 episodes from the eighties, you know, I think that's a fair rating for me. So I'll go four and a quarter. That brings us to a total consensus of 4.4 out of five stars. So obviously we highly recommend it. And that pretty much jives with your uh, critical reviews too. Over on uh, IMDb, it gets 7.2 out of 10. So that's roughly, you know, a little lower probably than our percentages, but pretty close. Uh, Metascore was a little lower for Metacritic. That's a scale of a hundred. It's only 63 overall Metacritic and Rotten Tomatoes. It is uh, certified fresh on the tomato meter out of 77 reviews. It has a 77% score, which is pretty good. And the audience score, as you know, you would expect is higher there on Rotten Tomatoes. It's 85%. So I think that pretty much jives with what we've said about it in the, uh, our overall score of it. So like I said, we highly recommend you go checking this one out if you haven't. And obviously we should have said out front, we are a spoiler filled podcast. So if you, <laughs> <laughs> it's a little late now at but, this point you know. yeah yeah wait a minute son of a bitch well look we didn't tell you what happened to a nook right so there's still that out there <laughs> donnie you didn't have to worry about any uh Preach. yeah yeah any, Preach. Of, the, any of that Preach. from uh animal animal abuse so um but before we completely check out here we've got Connections. <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh yeah, 
All right. So uh, this is episode 200. So if you're just uh, joining us on this, um, uh, you know, with on this episode with uh, Crypt Connections, we connect the current movie episode by any cast or crew connections from past Spook Show episodes. So so for the Lost Boys uh, on the cast side, we've got Kelly Joe Mentor, who is actually um, she dates back to when we covered Popcorn. Uh, from 1991. Uh, on the crew side, we've got uh, makeup effects artist uh, Greg Canham. That's Canham with an M at the end. Um, he was also, uh, he did the makeup effects for The Howling, uh, Cyborg. I- ironically, that was a canon fodder hmm. episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And uh, also Tales from the Crypt and All Through the House, which we just covered uh, this past Christmas. Some interesting connections for sure. So yeah, that, man. that will next lead us to... Well, what you got for the official number? Uh, I came up with 14. You know, a lot of, a lot of the scenes in this were kind of uh, happened all together. But we had the security guard. Uh, towards the beginning, and then uh, Greg and Shelley, who got ripped out of the car. Then we had the uh, the whole Nazi surf camp thing, and then uh, everybody at the all the vampires getting impaled uh, for the most part uh, at the end of the movie. So I came up with fourteen. That sounds about right. I mean, there's probably some that you can't necessarily count because you didn't see them on necessarily on screen. I'm sure there was a few there, right? That. Probably happened. Oh, I'm sure. And I mean, technically, you could almost count all the vampires twice because eventually they, you know, they yeah. became undead. Yeah. <laughs> so depends depends on your take point. your take on vampires, I guess. Um, all right, so that leads and, just, you know, I, I watched a lot of. Uh, uh, oh God, now I'm blanking on the show. Yep. What was the name of that damn show? About based that? in Louisiana vampires. Oh, uh, True Blood. True blood. Yeah. So, you know, I call them, I call them vampers. <laughs> you would, or, or you just refer to them all as Draculas. The vamps. There were, there were four Draculas. <laughs> all right. So that naturally leads us to, let's talk about the kill reel. I like kill. I think there's a few good ones here. I'm going to go with the holy water garlic tub vampire. Getting thrown in and, and melted. I mean, like I said, there's some good ones, you know, like the the death, the death by stereo, or, you know, that that guy or whatever. But I think that one just because it, you could argue it takes the longest of any of them, right? The other ones are fairly quick, and David, probably the most sequence of special effects, latex effects, probably appliances too for that. And, and and David, right, getting thrown on the horns, that was pretty good, but like it wasn't, it was dramatic, but it wasn't as gory or as over the top, I don't think, as the uh, the the garlic tub melting vampire, which I don't remember what what his you know, the character's name was, but one of the other two goon vampires. We'll call him Richie Valen. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Valen's vampire bit it there. All right, so that we'll wrap it up with this. Gore score. Yeah, we've, we've already talked about it not being an overly gory movie by any means. And that really the R rating only coming into play with the beach massacre, the final showdown. And really, that's about it. Well, Mark, Marco being stabbed leading up to the final showdown. But 
and that's really about it as far as the gore. Like uh, the beach basker scene we talked about was probably the goriest overall in the whole movie. Marco getting staked, and there was a little bit of a bloodbath there, le- le- leading to the old uh, glittery blood Twilight connection. Yeah. That, uh, well, the ne- the, you know, deducted us points from right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, the showdown, yeah, and the, like you said, the your the favorite kill being the uh, garlic. I mean, yeah, garlic, holy water, bathtub meltdown, right? Mm-hmm. Then you had the a stereo head explosion, sort of, but not overly gory. Not again, not the, there's not there's like a chunks, I guess, but it's not blood spray and all this stuff. So I mean, it's a it's a very low R rating head explosion scene, right? Mm-hmm. Not like scanners or it's, it's really Savini's quick. Head it, it, you don't stick with it. It's it's it happens and then they move nah. on. Yes, like I said, really, that's just for that that one-liner and the MTV music connection, you know, death by stereo thing. <laughs> but but it was cool. It was still cool nonetheless. It just wasn't very gory. Head explosion, and then and then you had David getting impaled on the antelope horns again. Not gory, really. And then you have the uh, head vampire. I can never remember his name in the movie. The actor, not the actor name necessarily, but even the character's name. Max. Of Max, yeah, uh, with the state, but again, not gory. I mean, you know. You, they were trying not to guess go that route necessarily. Oh, they could have easily made it, you know, bam, the state goes through them and a big spray of blood comes out the back or whatever. I mean, they weren't going for that for this type of movie. Yeah, they just kind of launched. They still, he just kind of gets launched into a chimney, right? Like or in a fireplace. And... Yeah, yeah. So, uh, I mean, I, I kind of go back and forth with what I was going mean, to. Now, usually, I'll I'll refer to Chaz Balin's gore score because, I, of course, gore score being based on his. <laughs> he did not like this movie at all. He gave it like one skull. His ratings went from like half a skull to four skulls was the max. But he gave us like one skull and he gave it a two on the gore score. I think that just just didn't like this movie at all. I, I'm not going to go that low. It is fairly low because it's not a super gory movie, but I think I'll at least give it a, I'll give it a five. I think, you know, I mean, it's, it's subjective, I guess, but it's, I think it. I think at least a five. I mean, an R-rated movie. It, the gore score should at least come to five, or it should be, or it'd be a PG thirteen under. Mm. Well, unless you're talking about nudity or or cursing or something like the, those lines. I'm sure some of that. Yeah. Some of that R rating too was, you know, obviously I think it earns it a little bit with with just enough gore to get there, but some of it's probably language oh, yeah. language too, right? Yeah, just like uh, Corey Pell, I mean Corey Haynes, uh, my old brother, a goddamn shit sucking vampire. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm sure there's enough there to come to the R rating conclusion for sure. Although it's not an overly yeah. gory movie, but it has its moments. So, well, that's yeah. it for uh, for this week. So it was another uh, big milestone here for us for episode 200. Uh, but we move onward and upward in massively big ways. So Donnie, next week it's your choice. You know, we do yes. this rotation where we all get to pick one, and it's, it's your turn. you got to pick an older one. So what are you bringing for us? So I, uh, I actually picked this a while back, and I uh, went ahead and, uh, you know, kind of solidified it um, a while while ago. But, uh, yeah, going way back, like in the way back uh, uh, era. But we're rewinding, I guess, about 90 years. Uh, we're going to um, – Go back to 1931, Frankenstein. So I'm pretty sure, other than when we talked about the movies that came out in 1922, which that wasn't like an official, you mm. know, Nosferatu episode or anything like that. We just talked yeah. about those horror movies that came out in 22. Pretty sure this is the oldest movie we've ever done. I don't think there was another one 
older than 1931 that we've talked about here on the show. So yeah, I'm pretty, that's I'm a, that's so. a, that's a good pull for sure. One of the classics, you know, literally, yeah. of, you know, not one of the biggest horror, best horror movies of all time, but one of the biggest, you know, arguably probably what a top 100, 150 movie of all time in Frankenstein and surely totally. all the money that it made and everything. We'll talk a little bit about that next week for sure. But yeah, so there you go. Come back next week for episode 201 Frankenstein from 1931. So for Will, Donnie, Professor Smoke, Tiana, I'm Josh. We are the All-American Spook Show, and we will talk to you next week.